0: Ever. And we're always told through movies and the media and, you know, when you're growing up and stuff like that, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Self-reliant. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we have to caution ourselves against it. And then the last point there, presently as of December 30th, when I looked this up, the U.S. stock market is presently valued at $25 trillion. That's our net worth of our country. So again, it's easy to be self-reliant and prideful when you have those things. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through the entire scripture, and then I'm going to break it up into several sections. I'm going to spend about five to ten minutes on what I like to say is, how did we get to Obadiah? Like, what's the path that brings him as a prophet to speak out against a nation. And then we'll get into the issues of pride, self-reliance, how do you, what's the the symptoms look like, those kind of things. So we're going to just read through it in one shot here. And again, it'll all be up on the screen for you. So Rick, we'll go to the next slide. There we go. So a vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent ...among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of a rock. In the loftiness of your dwelling place, you say in your heart, You will bring me down to earth. Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars... From where I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasure searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border. And the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then you mighty men will be dismayed, O Taman, in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. And do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. And do not stand at the fork of the road and cut down their fugitives. And do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if you had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions." Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be as stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will be no survivor in the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of Shephelah the Philistine plain. Also, they will possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of his host of the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as zephriim and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Zephariah, will possess the cities of the Negev. And deliver the deliverers will send Mount Zion to judge the nations of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Very good. <clears throat> so, if you... If we take this, excuse me for a minute, if you take this, this perspective of historical and where is, you and know, I always like to start out like where does this fit in to the Bible? So if you look at the slide here, the, 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 uh, the word Obadiah means serving the Lord or worship the Lord. And from a historical standpoint, you can see that Obadiah is roughly dated in 587 B.C., which puts it right around the Babylonian Empire. And so here are the, the five major empires that we are associated with. And basically, it's this Babylonian empire that has allied with Edom in this situation. So that's our rough time frame where we where we stand. Okay. So basically, let's look at this. How did we get here? How did we get to the point where Obadiah is speaking against Edom. And Edom is a curse to the nation of Israel. What's happened here? So if we go back to the book of Numbers, and we'll read this together, we can see here that this has been friction for a long period of time. The nation of Edom and Israel. So from Numbers 20, from Kadesh, this is after Moses has left Egypt and they're about to go to the Promised Land. And from Kadesh Moses, they sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel has said, you know all the hardship that has befallen us as they've escaped Egypt. That our fathers went down to Egypt, and we stayed in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and said, an angel brought us out of, the, out of Egypt, we now behold. So basically Moses is giving the king of Edom this lesson about what's been happening over the last few years. We are at Kadesh, the town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We shall not pass through field or through vineyard. We shall not even drink water from your well. We shall go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or left when we pass through your territory. Very careful, strategic, asking the king to pass through. Edom, however, said to him, you shall not pass through us lest I come out with a sword against you. Again, the sons of Israel said to him, we shall go up by the highway. And if I and my livestock do drink any of your water, then I will pay its price. Let me only pass through on my feet, nothing else. But he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against him in a heavy force and with a strong hand. Thus, Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. So a little bit of a historical perspective. Here Obadiah is talking about the nation of Edom, which has allied itself with the the empire of Babylonia to wreak havoc on Israel. And we go back and we see that there's a long track record of animosity between Israel and Edom. And so if we look at the map here, you can see here that yellow blob right there, that is the nation of Israel. Now another historical perspective, remember I told you we spent about a few minutes just kind of looking this over. Another historical perspective, the nation of Israel is divided at this point present time between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So shortly after King David and Solomon, The nation split through a civil war. And so presently, Obadiah is speaking from the southern kingdom. Now, not to get too deep in the weeds, but if you remember those empires I showed you, the Assyrian Empire, which was the first great power to come on, actually captured the northern kingdom. It was now taken over by the Babylonian Empire, which was perched perched and almost ready to take on the southern kingdom and then completely take over the nation of Israel. It's Obadiah who is speaking out against Edom, the brother of Israel, warning them to not do this as they allied with the Babylonians. And you can see here by the map how close in proximity they are. So this sort of sets the stage as to, like, what's going on here. Okay? So they have a long-term relationship. We'll go on here. <clears throat> this, is a, this is the capital city of Edom. And those are pretty, this, this is the city of Petra. And for all you movie buffs, that's a pretty famous scene. And there's some movies shot here. Uh, I think it's Temple of Doom. Last Crusade. I get the, there was a bunch of them. The Last Crusade, you can see here that picture on the left-hand side. The Martian was filmed here. It's a very famous site on the right-hand right side. The reason I show you these pictures, it's kind of important, because as we delve into the scriptures and kind of peel this back a little bit, you're going to find out that these, the, the, the nation of Edom got really lofty and prideful and self-reliant because many of their houses and buildings and things were actually carved into the clefts of the rocks on the right-hand side. So they felt pretty good about themselves. Okay, They felt pretty good about themselves. They felt well-protected, self-reliant. So that's geographically what it looks like there. Okay. Next thing, we're just going to go to one more slide, just a per- historical perspective. And I'm not going to ask you to go there, but we're going to go even further back to kind of find out like, what exactly went wrong with Edom. And Israel. And if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 27, we see here, if you all remember, the story of Esau and Jacob. Now I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read some scripture verses here. But this is the genesis of the, the genesis of the whole event. And it says here the, uh, these are Isaac's sons, okay? Esau and Jacob. It says here in verse 23, chapter 25. I'm backing up a little bit. And the Lord said to her, two nations will come for your womb. Then two people shall be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. So here we can see here that Esau and Jacob, right from the very beginning, are, going to, are there's going to be a struggle from the infancy because the younger... The older is going to serve the younger. And so here's where the animosity begins at that point. And also, I'll just point out one more verse here, which I think is very interesting. In verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So father and son had their favorites. And if you all are, most of us here are parents, we know that that's taboo. I've always asked my wife, you know, we have three sons. Who's your favorite? And she says, we c- you can't have a favorite. I tend to have favorites. It's whatever son is helping me out that particular day. <laughs> but we have three sons, and, uh, you know, we raised them here in the church. You're all familiar with them, the three boys, Jack, Brennan, Brennan, Jack, and Patrick. And when we, we had our children when they were young, uh, we had an issue that popped up that could have actually led to a Esau-Jacob situation, because if you are familiar with my sons, my son, my middle son Jack, is quite a large man. And at the time they were growing up, Brennan and Jack, like, for number one and number two, were pretty much the same size. And so J- Brendan, the older boy, started to kind of develop an attitude toward Jack, you know, a jealousy attitude. And it wasn't going over too well. And my wife addressed it immediately. She just sat Brendan down one day and said, he will be your best friend someday. You need to treat him with love. And there, thankfully, there was a course correction. It was really the only thing that had to be said. But there was a course correction. And so that to this day, it's true. They are extremely tight. They, they help each other. They, bond, they have bonded together. All three of them are very close. But you can see here in Genesis that the parents really didn't change that. And so we have a problem in Genesis. It is now translated into the nation of Edom, who does not side with their brother and is decided to side with Babylon. And so here is Obadiah preaching against self-reliance and pride against Edom. Okay? So let's go on to the next slide. You can see here's some, just back up a minute there, uh, Rick, just for a second. And there's some, this is kind of visual. I'm not going to go there for, for sake of time. But, well, in back in Mark, you remember last week, it, it's really interesting to me that there's kind of a tone in the Bible. Second shall be first. Second shall be first. You know, like when you go to the table, don't assume the the, the, the immediate proper position. Um, in Mark 10, 13, last week, if you recall, Pastor Keith was talking about disciples, and they brought the children to him, and, G- and the disciples were like, no, 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 let's usher those guys out of here. But they're the second. See, people, people viewed them as maybe less than first class. They were less than first class, students, not adults. And Jesus was basically saying, bring them to me. So there is a tendency in the Bible that the second shall be first, humility. Humility. Becoming second is not a bad thing because that creates in us a humble heart versus being first. Because I know that if I'm first all the time, I'm going to be a train wreck. I mean, that's just going to be ugly. But if I'm in second place, that's a good position to be in. So let's go on. Now we kind of get into the meat of things. So if you're writing things in your Bible, which I like to do from time to time, we're going to look at the what are the causes of pride. And verses, basically, verses 1 through 9, and again, I invite you to, we're going to stay right here at this slide, but I invite you to kind of open up your Bible. We're going to look at those first nine verses. But we basically have, you know, what are the causes of pride? And what I'd like you to do, and as I was studying this, I was always applying this to myself. Like, you know, as I'm turning this on to myself and going, these are easy things to happen to me. So the point of this message, Obi, is what do we see in ourselves? And so if you look at this, the causes of pride, security and accomplishments, security and assets, and security, and friends, and allies. We all are guilty of tending to move in that position. We can do it. And so security and accomplishments, I'll just read verse 3 again. And listen to this language. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. That's the key verse. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live, listen to this, you who live in the clefts, of the rocks. Remember I showed you those pictures where they were? Very comfortable in the clefts of the rocks. Can't be got yet. Nobody can get me. Okay? In the loftiness of your dwelling place, you say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Who can possibly do that? So their security was the fact that their hills, the hillsides, were very rich in iron and copper. There were trade routes through Petra and through the nation of Edom that you had to travel by road. And they could extend, they could, they could charge money for that thing. So they were wealthy. They felt very good about themselves. They were arrogant. They were self confident. They basically had an exaggerated opinion of yourself. Okay? I'm particularly guilty of that. I can have a very exaggerated opinion of who I am. And again, it can lead to an issue of pride. So verse 3, that's verse 3. Verse 5, I'll read verse 5 to you. If Listen to this. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined, would they not steal until only they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? When they leave a little something, they're not even going to do that. So if we take a little bit perspective on that idea of leaving gleanings, the grape gatherers came to you. If you recall, anybody recall the Book of Ruth? Book of Ruth is a great book about poverty, gleanings, all those kind of things. And if you remember, Ruth and Naomi went back to Naomi's land. Back to, in poverty, to, to she wanted to return to the nation of Israel. And so the story goes there where they had very little. And it was the custom and the law of the time that if the poor were out and about, and Naomi says to Ruth here in chapter 2, the Ruth and, and Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in those sites I'm my favorite with. In other words, it was a law. <clears throat> you could go to those fields. Nobody would harass you. You were allowed to go in there and glean the fields because the gatherers would leave stuff. They would leave it purposefully. It was their Medicare. It was their Social Security. Okay? You can just write that in the margin of the Bible SS, Social Security. <clears throat> So that was the custom today, but if you, we go to Obadiah, if we look at this verse five, the Lord is saying to Obadiah, is saying to Edom, if great ravens came to you, they're not even going to leave anything at all. In other words, the custom was to leave something. You're going to be destitute. There's not going to be anything lefty for you at all. This is what he's proclaiming as the causes of pride. Okay, so we can, and then the last point there, security and friends and allies, we all have friends, right? We all have allies, okay, basically what Obadiah is saying to Edom, these things are temporary. We see that in the affairs of the world today, right? How many times have we seen alliances with nations, even our own country, we have alliances? Things like that. But can you really take that to the bank and say that we can trust that alliance? These things can be broken all the time. So in verse 7, all the men allied with you will send you forth to the border and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. So basically, the third point here is that you really can't have full security in friends and allies, which Edom had. Because this this alliance with Babylonia is only going to last for a short period of time. And I guess the same thing could be said for us. We can't really have relationships with friends that we can trust will always be there but we know the one relationship that will always be there. The one relationship we have with Jesus. Personal relationship. Trusting in him. We know that he's always going to be there. We can take that as assurance. So those are the three causes of pride. Okay. And then we have the, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll, hold on a second. Go back, bricks. just a couple more points. I'm sorry. And I, I love this part. Again, I'll read it to you. I love this part. On verse 8, still talking about security and things like that. Verse 8, will I, will I, not, on that de- 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 I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men of Esau? That's interesting. The wise men, okay? I look at that as being your wisdom. Your wisdom can be remo- removed, removed. It can be withdrawn. Here it's going to be withdrawn. So you know what's going to happen to them? They're going to make a series of bad mistakes and errors because the Lord is proclaiming, because of your pride, because of your self-reliance, I'm going to remove the wise men. You can ha- so wisdom can be removed from us. So I look at this and I say to myself, what is this saying to me? What is this saying to me in the year 587 B.C., Bruce Neary here? It says to me that if I'm not studying the Word of God, if I'm not looking at it, studying it, reading it, I may fall under the same condemnation of wisdom being removed. Because wisdom comes from the Lord. So those things can happen to us too. If we're not in the word and studying. Okay? So, in review, in review, this first section, okay, one of the causes of pride, we have the security will be gone, wealth can be gone, wise men can be gone. These things can disappear. You know, if you remember your history, I looked up a couple things. I thought to myself, when was the last time we had, like, a real crisis? And I went back and looked up the crash of 1929. Now, I don't think anybody in this room was there. Okay? It, Bob, you weren't there either. <clears throat> okay? But if you if you were in... You know, it's so long ago. It's so long ago. But the crash of 1929 was a financial meltdown that all assets and protection and all that kind of things disappeared in a period of a day. And then it preceded... This preceded the... The wave of the Great Depression, this over-reliance, heavy borrowing, all these kind of things all of a sudden culminated in this crash that evaporated everything. I'm just going to read a quote from Will Rogers. Will Rogers was in New York City on Black Thursday. This is what it's been called, which was October twenty fourth, 1929. He was in New York City that day. And he said in his nationally syndicated newspaper column for that particular day, he wrote, quote, when Wall Street took that tailspin, you had to stand in line to get a window to jump out of. And speculators were selling space for bodies in the East River. Those people who decided to jump out the windows Suicide spiked for two months in New York City. Hit record levels. Those individuals did not have the wisdom of the Lord and the understanding of a reliance on him. They too would be suspect to this message. It's that reliance in those things that can create pride that this will never go away and then a problem can occur. More recently, more recently, 2008. Now, we were all there in 2008. And if any of you remember, there was a financial crisis then. And I'm, I, I, I kind of, my wife knows, I kind of, I, I watch the business channels and stuff like that. So this is kind of like in my wheelhouse. In 2008, we had a similar situation happen. And it was propped up, fortunately. It was propped up. But if you remember, back then, there was a bubble, a housing bubble, and basically we were lending people money with no money down. No money down because we're self-reliant, everything's good, we live in the clefts of the rocks, you know. Everything's going to be great, you know. we think it's going to be good. And so what happened was a large financial bubble began to emerge where people couldn't pay this back because they didn't put any skin in the game. And then the insurance companies came along and said to the financial institutions, these were called credit default swaps, they came in and said, hey, listen, we'll take on that debt for you. And we'll bet, we'll bet, and ask you for a fee to take on. And this was allowed. And then all of a sudden what happened was we had this falling apart, the the, the, the government propped those companies up. We have since come out of that. We have restored those norms where they were. But again, these things can happen. We can all lose everything we have thinking that we're in the clefts of the rock, which I have a tendency to think everything's fine, I'm in the clefts of the rock. But again, it could be, be false. Okay, Let's go to the second point. What are the symptoms of pride? What are the symptoms of pride? If we look here, i got three points here. Passively watching injustice. He speaks against that in verses 10 and 11. Listen to this. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever on the day that you stood aloof. They're just standing there like this. Good for you. I'm just going to stand here and mastermind my relationship with Babylonia. But you can just stand there, and I'm going to stand aloof. And, we have anything to do with this. He's condemning that. Okay? You will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. And you stood to And foreigners entered this gate and cast lots for Jerusalem. You, too, were as one of them. You actually came in and entered the gate with foreigners and were casting lots for your brother. They were passively watching injustice. Violence against your brother. Violence against your brother, which shouldn't, be, shouldn't happen. I'll tell you a quick story. My father had one brother. And years ago... They had a falling out. My father and brother had a falling out over, without getting into details, it was meaningless. It was trivial. They had a disagreement. And they were only about two years apart. They had a good relationship. This is when they were probably in their 60s. And they didn't speak to each other for like 10 or 15 years. Silence. Just not get along at all. And then as, our, as their children became, come of age... Their children, his, his sons and my son and his son, their sons, came of age. They started to kind of like, hey, listen, this is ridiculous. Get it together. And they restored that relationship. Fortunately, they restored that relationship. But there was a good 10 to 15 years of just like no communication to my father and my uncle. And so we can see here that this kind of thing is just not going to be fruitful or beneficial. So violence against your brothers, violence against your relatives, and then look at the second point. Rejoicing over others' troubles. Okay? Rejoicing. There are spectators. There are spectators. This is great what's happening to the nation of Israel. And and, Obadiah is condemning this kind of thing. And then the third point. Seizing opportunities from others' troubles. Verses 13 through 14. I'll read that to you real quick. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you! Do not gloat over the calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road and cut down their fugitives. And those not imprison their, and, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. In other words, they were basically seizing the opportunity of those Israelites... Who are actually escaping they're running for their lives they're leaving and Edom is standing there and he's and, and basically picking them off one by one arresting those who are fleeing so Edom is practicing something that is the lowest of the low imagine how this is happening and again all going back to this issue of has been welled up through pride. This pride and self-reliance brought them to this point. Nothing can happen to us. That type of heart. That type of heart. <clears throat> and God is condemning that through the prophet of Obadiah. Okay? Third slide. <clears throat> what is the solution? And if you look here, in verses 15 through the rest of the book here, a lot of the remaining part of the book is this idea of a, a future, what the future is going to look like. Okay? What the future kingdom and, and the fact that Israel will be restored. Israel will be restored. Edom will no longer exist. There is no longer an Edom. There's no nation of Israel in the United Nations. They don't sit there with an ambassador. They're gone. Okay? So I call this the solution to pride. How do we, what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, the first thing here is choose to serve God. Now, if you're taking notes, I think this is the most important part. Because this is like the take home. Choosing to serve God the most important thing that we can do to not be prideful and self-reliant is to get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off yourself. We're not that big a deal. Okay? We're not that big a deal. We tend to think we're all that. I'm really good at that. But we have to practice this, this practice of not taking our eyes off ourselves. So these are the things that lead us to not being self-reliant, prideful. Taking our minds off ourselves, and serving others. Automatically, you're in a good place. That's a great prescription. When you go to the store, the drugstore to pick up your refill, if you're getting drugs as you get older, you're getting more drugs, right? I'm getting drugs now. Fall apart. <clears throat> but that's a prescription, right? The prescription to a non-prideful, self-reliant attitude is to get your eyes off yourself. Choose to serve God. And... Under that same point, choose to serve God. Know that whatever you're doing, you're only a custodian. You don't own it. It's not yours. You didn't buy it. You're a custodian and you're a caretaker of that particular thing. Then you're not prideful. If You're just a caretaker. I don't own it. What happens if I own it? If I own it, then all of a sudden, ownership can turn into pride. It's okay to own things. We just got to be careful. So by owning a ministry or owning a service, serving God, I'm going to own a particular aspect of that. Then all of a sudden, my heart can change to be prideful. So we have to be careful of that. Okay. Second point, choose to worship God, corporately and personally. That's why it's so important for the, you know, you guys don't get the chance to come in here sometimes. I'm in here at 10 o'clock in the morning. They're rehearsing. They're all rehearsing up here, trying to get it right, trying to get it exactly right. Prayer in the pastor's office beforehand. Why is that important? Because in order to be non-prideful, we worship God in a meaningful way. Meaningful. And then the way you can do it personally, in that way, in your own personal time, and with the advent of the smartphone and all that, and I got my issues with it, anybody who knows me, but at the same time, we have access to personal worship. And so anybody who knows me knows I like all these podcasts that I have on my my phone of different sermons and stuff. That's a form of worship. Those are things that if we choose to worship, we become less prideful. The second point. Or we will be humbled eventually. Because as we move forward in pride, you're going to become an ugly person. And then, and, then, and then there'll be a series of events that will happen that will force you to be humbled. Okay? Got a quick story for you. We'll go to the next slide, Greg. Quick story for you. These are some verses here we'll look at in a minute. Got a quick story for you. Um, <clears throat> those of you who know, again, we're talking about pride. Those of you who know me, I, I'm a big fan of Ravi Zacharias. He's a Christian apologist. Hey, look, in my opinion, presently, He's, he's probably the greatest mind in Christianity. I say, you know, intellectually and what he's doing. So I listen to his podcast. And he tells a story where he went to give a series of talks over a week-long period of time. Didn't, didn't mention where it was. But he was quickly approached by a man of, he wouldn't mention a name, but somebody that was renowned in that country. Walked right up to him. I just wagged his finger. I said, I just want you to know that I'm here. I heard you were something special, but I want to let it know the ground rules here that my wife and kids dragged me here, and I'm reluctant. I'm reluctant. I don't even believe anything you say. And Robbie said, well, you know, why did you come? Well, I, I made a deal with my wife and kids. He's got three sons. So what would you like me to do? And they, they, they basically bargained with him to come for a week with the family. So he says, I'm only here reluctantly because of that. So he's like, okay, well, Robbie's like, okay, well, you know. He was pretty rough on him. Imagine having somebody come up like that. But he's like, why don't you just have a good time. You you got the hotel room, all this kind of stuff. Take your time. You're with your family. And let's just see how it goes. Four days later, the guy comes up to him and says, my life is transformed. I was a prideful man. I relied on my assets. I was... An ugly person. I was miserable. You have restored something in me. I've seen something new. Can I come to the Lord? Can I pray with you? And the man became a Christian. And they've since have a relationship going forward. So it's it's like that's pride and the recognition of it. For this man. Just a couple verses. We're near the end here. Okay? a couple of verses here on pride. Uh, Proverbs 11:2: "When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. Be open to what the Lord is telling you. Proverbs 16:18. We know this verse: Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit." Before stumbling, that was that man. That was that man. I suspect, and, I don't, and he didn't, Ravi didn't mention this in that 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 testimony, that converse, that example. I suspect the wife and kids wanted him to come there because he was desperately needing it, and he was difficult to live with. I bet you he was horrible, because I can just imagine that. My own family, three sons, my wife, and they're bringing me someplace. You're going to bring somebody someplace. You're in, it's, you're in desperate for a change in this man's life. He must have been really hard to live with. And so there you go. Humble, First Peter, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Pride is the great enemy. You're talking to a person who is easily prideful. Very easy for me to do that. It's the great enemy. Humility brings you to the Lord. It's that humble heart. And outlining these things to you, those different options, okay? Choosing to serve God, worshiping, okay? Getting your eyes off yourself, serving others, that's the prescription to pride. It slays it. It slays it. It arrests it. It keeps it down. And then you clothe yourself in humility. 1 Corinthians. Now these things happen to them as an example. And they are written for your, our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let whom who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Because if you think, you, you know, you're all that, watch out. Okay? And then, final slide. Indeed, 2 Corinthians, indeed, we had this next to the last, I'm sorry. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead. You can't trust in yourself. can't trust in yourself. It's, we're too faulty, we're wrecked. We're wrecked. It's a faulty machine. It's like if we built a machine, and we are machines, by the way, organic machines. We, are, we're, we have things that make us like a machine. And unlike other machines, though, we are given self-will, self-determination, choices, free will, all that stuff. And so through that, through that, we're poisoned. Poisoned. I believe our DNA was altered. Our DNA was altered. Like we're, there's, a, there's something in there that makes us now faulty. A faulty machine. And so if you have a faulty machine in your house, which you wouldn't want to have, you take it out for repair. If you had a faulty machine in your house, you're not going to trust it. It's going to be hard to put all your faith and trust in a faulty machine. We're faulty machines. Okay, so we can't trust in ourselves completely because that's just not going to be wisdom. Wisdom is leaning on the Lord. Now the last slide. Final thought. One who responds in obedience to the grace of God has all the gain. But a person who spurns his grace in pride has all to lose. So this is the second time I've talked to you and I would hope that you would walk away understanding that there's pitfalls. There's potholes. There's potholes. I envision potholes in the ground. And instead of moving around the potholes. And the potholes are the avenues of pride. There's one there, there's one there, there's one there. Those potholes, by leaning on the Lord, by serving Him, by trusting in Him, He smooths out the potholes. I can walk freely without having to look for them and walk around them. I can now walk through and not all of a sudden fall into a pothole by those prescriptions of avoiding them. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak. Thank you for these people. Amen.